This episode is presented by MyBookie.ag. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the MMA meeting. Let's talk with the Weasel Podcast. We talk all things MMA, and a lot has been going on. Not just MMA, but also in boxing, and that's where I really want to start with this. So, well, first, UFC 244 wrapped up. We have a clear vision, conclusion to everything that happened that night. The big thing is, a lot of people want to see the Nate Diaz and Jorge Maslow rematch, and Maslow has been talking a lot about that and what will get him into a rematch, and it's pretty much what we all thought. It's going to be the money. If the UFC offers him something better with more pay, something that intrigues him a lot more than a rematch with Nate Diaz, of course he's going to go that route. He has said it. He said Nate Diaz would do the same thing if he was in his shoes, and that's what it seems like the UFC might want to do, but I don't know what it will be because it looks like Conor has his next fight ready. I don't think it's Jorge Maslow. If it is, I won't be too shocked, but I have a feeling it might be like a Donald Cerrone or someone in the lightweight division. Justin Gaethje recently, unless you guys have seen something very recently from Gaethje in the last like, couple days, Gaethje has become a lot more quiet when it comes to Conor McGregor. He was bashing Conor, calling for his name, and then all of a sudden, around Conor McGregor's interviews and stuff, Gaethje has been really quiet, which tells me that it's possible that Conor McGregor might be fighting Justin Gaethje. If that's the fight that's going to happen, that's the most logical fight for the fans, for the hardcore fans. They're both right next to each other in the rankings. It would be a very compelling fight. It would be very back and forth, I believe. And they are both heavy starters, right? They come out of the gates exploding, looking to knock the opponent out. Opposite stances, different techniques, different weapons. But as the fight carries on, I think Justin Gaethje is going to be the one that's going to have the advantage. Because it's not just the cardio, it's the areas Justin Gaethje attacks. He attacks the body a lot more than Conor does. He attacks the legs a lot more than Conor does. And those two aspects are going to make a longer fight a lot more favorable for Gaethje to get ahead on. Earlier in the fight, I believe Conor McGregor is going to have the advantage. I think he's a better puncher. I actually believe Conor might be one of the best, if not the best puncher in the UFC right now. And Justin Gaethje will leave himself vulnerable, but he has changed his style a little bit. He's a little bit more calculated when he wants to attack instead of just trying to bowl right through the opponent. And that's going to make it harder for Conor to land those strikes those strikes, and allow Justin Gaethje to land leg kicks and stuff like that. And Justin Gaethje does have a wrestling game he can go to, but he hasn't been using it that much recently. He used used to use it earlier in his career so he still has that instinct of his if he wants to go to the wrestling he did attempt a one takedown against Eddie Alvarez it did get stuffed I believe but when he's in danger like in that Alvarez fight at UFC 218 he will go back to his wrestling it depends how much damage he takes it depends how much you got to push him into the cage and we know Conor likes to be the pressuring fighter but will he be against Justin Gaethje that's going to be very interesting to see who's going to push who back I think Conor is a lot better going backwards than Justin Gaethje is because of his counter shots because he is a lot more slick when it comes to movement and looking for the angles of the left hand it's not just a left straight or a left hook I mean he's throwing left uppercuts he's slipping to the left and returning back with a left hand he has so many setups and so many angles for that left hand it's still going to make an obstacle for Gaethje to get by and that obstacle is going to be very tough I do favor Connor to eventually knock out Justin Gaethje I just don't think Gaethje is going to be able to take too many left hands to the chin and Connor does have the precision that Michael Johnson perhaps doesn't and Michael Johnson is able to connect on Justin Gaethje over and over again but again the movement of Gaethje that he goes to these days could potentially throw off some of Connor's expectations in this fight you know what I'm saying but I do lean Connor if that fight is going to be made now the big one is a lot of people are asking how would Connor versus Hori Maslow go and who would win who would be favored to win that fight I believe Hori Maslow is going to be the favorite in terms of betting odds but if we do have a focused and ready Connor McGregor that we used to see in 145 and when he fought Eddie Alvarez and when he fought Nate Diaz a second time it will be a very competitive fight and frankly I 
do favor Connor just a little bit if we see a prime version of Connor. If we don't see a prime version of Connor, he's gonna get torpedoed, man. I mean, he's gonna get knocked into a peaceful state. Jorge Masdal has a killer instinct that he was never really known for before, and it's very scary to see these days. I mean, he's looking to finish every step of the way, and if Connor gives him any labored approach, that's all that Hori's gonna need to end Connor out there. You know, Maswell does come forward with a heavy boxing game at times, and I don't think he's gonna be able to outbox Connor at all. Connor's a little bit too fast. He snaps into his punches a lot better than Jorge does. He's able to dig in and get out faster than Hori can respond to those. And Hori, even still, I saw in the Nate Diaz fight, especially before he head kicked Diaz when he was rushing him with punches, you could sometimes see his chin go over his punches. You could still see him be a little bit too stiff for my liking if he's going to fight someone like Connor. But here's the thing Jorge, I believe, is a better kicker than Connor. Yes, Connor's a lot more flashy. He throws like spinning kicks and he moves around a lot. So you would think that Connor is a better kicker. I don't think so, man. One of Jorge's best weapons is that round body kick. He lands on everybody and he actually sets up combinations off of that right he'll throw a body kick and then set up his punches that's something you don't normally see people do he throws really good leg kicks look he did to nate diaz he was lancing him with those side kicks to the knee nate couldn't really get in yes connor did that a couple times but nate got in on connor because connor kind of abandoned the legs a lot faster than Jorge did. Jorge was constantly going to that side kick to the leg, the right round kick to the body. He has a really nice spinning heel kick, and his kicks are a lot more powerful than Connor. Connor's kicks are not too powerful. They're really to set up for the left hand. He tries to trap you into a line of sight for that left hand of his. You know, if you're moving out to your right, and he's pressuring you like he's trying to do in most of his fights, he's going to throw that left round kick to your head into your body. And that gets you moving the other way because you don't want to keep running into this kick. You could block it, but eventually it's going to do a lot of damage on your arms and eventually get to your head. So if you start to move out to your left, now he's throwing the spinning heel kick at your head and you really don't want to be in the way of those. So he keeps you on the center, forcing you to challenge his dominant linear stance, right? Notice that Conor McGregor keeps a very sideways stance, so it's heavily reliant on forward and back movements. And when you keep the opponent on the center line, they're forced to challenge that. They're forced to attack on that line. And that's why you see Eddie Alvarez get countered. You see Josie Aldo get countered. You see Nate Diaz sitting against the cage again dropped. It forces some guys to chase him, and he's able to slip their punch and counter them. Or you sit on that center line and allow Conor to snipe at you. That's what his kicks really do to you. I mean, I've seen him head kick people. He got one good head kick earlier in his career, but he did also spin a heel kick, I think, Diego Brandao. And a man should not be getting up as fast as Brandao did when you're getting spinning heel kick to the jaw. I just don't think Connor's throwing him that hard. That's the thing. Hori Maslow throws him hard. And he doesn't want to go kick for kick with Hori Maslow, I believe. And Maslow also has a better clinching game, better wrestling, better Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And... It just depends if Hori's going to go that route. Will he go and try to take Connor to the ground? Because it will be the path of least resistance. If you try to stand up with Connor for the most part of the fight, you're just playing into Connor's game. But then again, Jorge is that kind of guy. He could have tried and wrestled with Diaz a lot more than he did, but Diaz was the one that was getting close on Jorge to grapple with him, to clinch up with him and stuff like that, but Jorge was getting the better of the clinches by quickly moving in for the body locks. He didn't really want to go that route. He was trying to strike with Nate Diaz for the most part of the fight, but when the grappling exchanges got engaged, that's when Jorge was being effective. I don't know if he'll do the same thing to Connor. Is he just going to strike with him? Will he go and mix up the game on Connor? It really depends. If he goes and mixes up the game on Connor. I believe Jorge might win that fight because of how high level his wrestling and his BJJ is. But if he goes and tries to strike with Connor, 
I believe Connor's going to get the better of the exchanges. But how long can Connor last against Jorge? Because Jorge is going to be blasting at Connor whenever he sees an opening. And the body shots and the leg kicks, will that take a lot out of Connor after that second round? Maybe. Perhaps. I don't know how much Connor has been working on his cardio, but naturally he's a fast twitch fighter. So I don't think he'll ever get on the level of Jorge Mesdal when it comes to the cardio aspect. And he may be a little bit faster, more fast twitch, a little bit more explosive. But the fight, when you look at it on paper, it is a disadvantage for Connor. He has less ways to win. He's a smaller fighter and he gasses out against a bigger fighter. You never want to be a smaller guy who's gassing out before the bigger guy because the cardio aspect for the smaller guy is a huge weapon against a bigger fighter. It could be a kryptonite at times, right? The speed and the cardio, those are the real big things when you're fighting a bigger fighter. And yes, Hori is bigger. Hori probably walks around 190s or something like that. I usually do the research for my prediction videos, but I forgot what his uh, walk around weight was. And Connor's is like around 170, right? It's a pretty big gap. And Hori's acclimating to that weight class, the 170 pound weight class. You see him in the weigh-ins when he's drained? The guy's big, man. He got a lot bigger. And he's actually pretty ripped. This is like the first time we've ever seen him like this. I mean, he looked a little bit bigger than Nate Diaz, who is known as his 200 plus pound monster monster that everybody was creating I, I don't know where that was coming from but Nate is bigger than Connor as well and when he fought Connor people were making it seem like Nate Diaz was some monster who belonged in like 205 or something like that and Jorge looked bigger than Nate so will the clinch work really gas out Conor McGregor will that weight push him against the cage and suffocating him will that gas him out eventually it possibly can if I would have to put my money on someone Maslow would be the safer pick I don't know what the betting odds would be for that. I would suspect Hori might be somewhere around almost a 2-1 to one favorite. Probably like a minus 180 or something like that. Well, yeah, I do think Connor might win the fight if Hori goes and fights like he usually does and he doesn't mix up the game. But if Hori uses his fight IQ and knows the path of least resistance, I would have to go with probably Hori Maslow. Oh, and I guess the president actually came. I actually didn't see him. I guess it turns out that they didn't put him on the screen or anything like that. So I don't know if he came because nobody really made a big deal out of it until after the event. And my Twitter feed was full of politics. And I, it just reminds me of why I just don't care about it. Like, it's too petty, it's too childish, a lot of irrelevancy. Of course, there's relevant things, but when you have to dig through the trash to get to it, i just rather do something else with my time. Now, I'm not in the know or anything like this, but why is everybody infatuated with the present game booed or cheered or whatever? I'm seeing hundreds of tweets, people tagging me and people talking about it, and I don't understand the excitement about this or the entertainment about this. I just find it kind of irrelevant. I find it kind of dumb to talk about. It's like we have 50-year-old adults arguing or jeering or cheering on the criticisms or the support for Donald Trump at sporting events. And even when I'm with my family, with my mom or something, they're like watching the news and this is what they're talking about. Even on the news, like I can't get away from it. It's everywhere. It's in my Twitter feed where I usually communicate with you guys as well as uh, YouTube comments as well. It's all over the place. I just can't get away from it. And it turns out that Hori Mazadal is the president's new favorite fighter. Man, Colby has to be mad. He played this character for so long. He put up all of this charade only for Hori Mazadal, his ex-friend, new rival, to actually get tweeted by the president and congratulated. And Hori Mazadal is like all stoked about it. What a turn of events, man. And to be honest... I think it's Colby's fault. The way everything looked before this fight with Usman fell apart for UFC 244, it looks like it was Colby's fault. It looks like he didn't take the fight. And he could have been the main event at MSG with the president there, possibly, right? Possibly. And he just ruined it for himself. So 
The fight's still big. He's going to be headlining a triple championship event, but he missed out on what would have completed his character. And I don't know what he's going to go to now. He's going to keep doing this thing. Is he going to keep being this uber Trump supporter? I don't know, man, because now if he goes back to it, people are just going to point to Hori Maslow. That's the real guy, right? That's the guy that the president wants. That's the guy that the president went to see, not this whole character. It's just hilarious how that all turned out. And I'm just super happy for Hori Maslow because I remember where he used to come from. The guy was a decision machine. He had so many split decisions in his career. He never pulled the trigger. He never went for the knockout, never went for the submission. He fought all over the world. He fought in the UFC for a very long time. He was a contender to non-contender, to beating guys and then losing the big ones. Now he just hit another level. And I think it has to do with that reality show that it made him think of what he has to do, man. What he has to change because things aren't working out. He just lost to Steven Thompson. He has to change things because he can't just keep being this gatekeeper for the rest of his life. And for all of you hardcore fans that have been watching Hormazel for a long time, you guys all know what I'm talking about. This guy has always had star quality. Always. He was always funny. He always had a good personality. He had a good style. He had the good upbringing. He had the good background. He had everything good about him. The way he talked, everything was just star quality if you only could put it together competitively. That was the only thing people were knocking on him for. It's like he has everything, but he just needs to perform. And we all knew he could because he was just coasting in fights. The biggest one was when he fought Eli Quinta. He looked like the better fighter, but he was just coasting. Like he knew he had the distance down. He knew he had the jab on Eli Quinta. He knew he could keep distance and not get hit that clean. He just carried that all the way throughout the fight and lost a decision. And he was super mad about it. And I remember I was watching with my cousin. We're like, dude, Menzel's going to lose this fight if he keeps doing this. I mean, he probably thinks he's winning because he's being more technical. He's not getting hit, but that's not the name of MMA, right? That's not how they judge. I Quinta, yeah, he's getting hit a little bit, but he's the one pushing forward. This is before the new rules. So the aggressor who's attempting takedowns, all that stuff, used to win these decisions pretty easily. And everybody that watched that fight knew that if Maslow went out of first gear, he would have probably beaten Ali Quinta that night. And that was a big fight for him. But now he's finally hit it, man. Knocking out everybody, has his killer instinct. And that's exactly what we've been waiting to see from this guy. And the big thing about boxing that night. So Canelo defeated Kovalev. And it's not too shocking for everybody to see. I mean, Kovalev is a bit older. He has taken some damage. He's a lot slower than Canelo. And that left hook from Canelo, man, that, that fight should have just been called the left hook. That's what it should have been. Went to the body, went to the head. Almost every single left hook landed. It didn't matter if Kovalev tried to block it. It was getting right around the guard. Because Canelo, even being shorter than Kovalev, he was reaching far for it and landing toward the ear every time to the head. And he was making that liver suffer. I mean, just constantly going to that side, to the ribs, to the liver, blasting Kovalev with those shots. And Kovalev was just a little bit too slow, man. Good jabs, but his right hand was getting countered or evaded the entire fight. It was just the jabs because of his long reach and the way his stance is. The jabs are hard to see from Kovalev. He really makes it extend from his stance instead of flaring anything out or telegraphing it before he throws it. But that last left hook discombobulate Kovalev by landing on the ear. The right hand lands and that was it. And a lot of people seem to think that was a fixed fight, but I don't understand why people are saying it's a fixed fight. I mean, you got an older Kovalev who's probably in the later end of his career. He got hit by two clean shots that hurt him and he went down. Canelo's a hard puncher, man. It doesn't matter if he's going up to light heavyweight. This isn't MMA or wrestling or something where size will really dictate how the fight will go. When it comes to striking sports, the smaller guy has a really good chance of winning because of his speed advantage. And that's exactly what we saw here. And speed kills, man. 
You don't need a lot of force behind your punches if you have that speed, if you have that explosiveness. And Canelo has it. If you just land one on the chin or one behind the ear or something like that, it doesn't matter how big your opponent is, the chin, the ear, the brain, it doesn't change. Yeah, the body shots can get taken a little bit more from bigger guys because of all the muscle and the mass that they bring into a fight. But when you're landing behind the ear, it doesn't matter how big you are. Knocking your equilibrium off, it'll happen to anybody. And one big right hand to the chin like that while you're not even seeing it coming, again, it doesn't really matter how big you are. You're not going to really take that. So I don't really understand where the conspiracies of a fixed fight come from. It just seems that a lot of people don't like that Canelo won for some reason. But it was a legit win in my opinion. Right, He's going to have a hard time with other light heavyweights. But I do think he could beat a lot of them as well. He might go up to Cruiserweight. I think he's talking about that too. It might be that people think that Canelo is so much smaller and he could never knock out guys big as Kovalev, right? This has to be fixed. That's probably what a lot of casual fans are thinking. But people forget about Roy Jones Jr., who was a middleweight, a weight class that Canelo has fought for a long time. And he went up and fought for the heavyweight title and won that fight. A middleweight went up to super middleweight, went up to light heavyweight. He went to cruiserweight or he went to cruiserweight after heavyweight. But he eventually went up to heavyweight, weighing like 190 and defeated the 220-pound John Ruiz. Just outboxed him. And he was a Big time undersized against Ruiz. I mean, he was, again, 190, 5 foot 11 against the 220 pound, 6 foot 2 John Ruiz, who also had a 4 inch reach advantage, I believe, over Roy Jones. The skill, the speed, the cardio, shot placements, all that stuff, it's not like MMA or wrestling where size matters a lot more than it does in boxing or kickboxing or something like that. So I thought it was a great win for Canelo Alvarez, and he's really trying to be an all time great here. And he's doing really great things, but people are always going to look at that Floyd Mayweather fight. No matter how far he goes, no matter who he beats, people are always going to look at that Floyd fight. And people aren't going to care that he was like, what, 21, 22 years old, not even in his prime yet. Nobody's really going to care about that. But I personally think if Canelo keeps going this route, he will be an all-time great, especially all-time great Mexican boxer. And I know a lot of people don't want to say Canelo is the greatest Mexican boxer of all time because you do have... uh, Julio Cesar Chavez. When you look at competition beaten, I believe Canelo trumps Julio Cesar Chavez, right? Chavez fought a lot of Mexican boxers back at home that nobody knew about. And the big guys that he beat, he did beat Roger Mayweather, Rocky Lockridge, Meldrick Taylor, Hector Camacho. You know, he beat some decent boxers, but there's fights in his career that people didn't think he won. And the big one was when he fought Pernell Whitaker. So Julio Cesar Chavez, he had an 87 win streak. And that's the big thing going for him. Nobody's ever seen a win streak like that. He was 87-0 and 0 when he fought Pernell Whitaker. And go back and watch that Whitaker fight. There's no way it was a draw. I watched that fight like three, four times, and Whitaker absolutely won that fight. But it's boxing, man. But the only big thing going for Chavez is he was on 87 win streak. But right now, looking at the competition beaten, I will have to say Canelo's above Julio Cesar Chavez. He had a long win streak before he fought Floyd Mayweather. He's a multiple division champion, where Chavez went from super featherweight all the way up to welterweight. And that's commendable, but it's very different from going from welterweight to light heavyweight. That's a big jump, man. And he's winning most of those fights. His only loss is to Floyd Mayweather Jr., And that was when he was very young in 2013. And we know he has the fights against Triple G, which I thought he lost both of them, to be honest. Whatever, man. Chavez had some wonky decisions as well. So what do you go for here? Who do you think is the greatest Mexican boxer of all time? If you were to ask me because of my criteria, I put competition above everything else. Mine would be Canelo. I always say Canelo is the best Mexican boxer of all time. You do have Salvador Sanchez as well back in the day, but I would have to say Canelo is the greatest Mexican boxer up until this point. It's just the nostalgia about Julio Cesar Chavez back in the day. We always seem to put the older boxers above the new boxers for some odd reason. Nostalgia and stuff like that. Probably the main driving force for that. But when you look at them next to each other, competition, 
record, how they fought, knockouts, whatever you want to look at, for me, I will have to put Canelo as the best. I know Chavez is royalty, but I believe Canelo will be royalty once he retires as well. But here's the thing, man. MMA has seemed to surpass boxing at this point. And the fact that Canelo, probably the biggest star in boxing today, had to have his fight delayed because the UFC event at the same time was potentially drawing bigger numbers tells you all about who's the main driving force in the combat sports world. It was boxing for a long time, and I think at this point, MMA has surpassed boxing. Jorge Maslow and Nate Diaz. Big fight, drew like a six point whatever million dollar gate, one of the biggest gates in recent times. Dana White has said that it's the biggest pay-per-view of this year, and Habib fought Dustin Poirier this year, so we don't know exactly if it's going to be bigger, we don't know the exact numbers or anything like that, but the fact that Jorge Maslow versus Nate Diaz influenced the zone, or whoever had to push back that boxing event, they had that influence to push a boxing event, and Canelo was on it, fighting for the light heavyweight title of the world, it's a big fight huge fight with one of if not the biggest star in boxing and Nate and Horry aren't the biggest stars in MMA right now there are some of the biggest stars you know you have Habib you have Conor McGregor you have John Jones and it used to be a debate for a very long time but since Floyd Mayweather left I believe now MMA has finally taken the front seat in the combat sports world and it's still very young it's still a very young sport boxing has been around for over 100 years the UFC has only been around for, what, 26 years? And it's already taken over every other combat sports in the world. And it's great to see, man. I mean, it's the ultimate fighting sport. It really is. Boxing, all these other sports have great limitations and huge restrictions that MMA just doesn't have. Just like Conrad said in that interview a while ago, the boxers are fooling themselves if they're not coming to MMA and they think like they're the best fighters or something like that. But here's another thing about boxing. Tyson Fury is one of the biggest stars as well, right? He's like venturing into other things <laughs> like WWE, MMA, like he wants to do other things. And with this YouTube fight, this KSI versus Logan Paul thing, boxing is just in a very weird state these days. It's almost looked as of not as serious anymore. From the promotions to the unacceptable decisions to fighters leaving the sport to having YouTubers constantly fighting in the sport and also getting promoted by the zone, I think, and also being a headliner or whatever it's going to be. And you actually have legit fighters under them that should be headlining over them. But then again, it's the entertainment business. They're going to have the YouTubers who are more famous than those boxers headline the event. And say what you want about the UFC signing CM Punk and also signing Greg Hardy. They never did something like this. Yes, they signed those guys, but they would never make CM Punk a headliner on like a pay-per-view or a headliner of any card, right? Greg Hardy, yeah, he's going to be fighting Volkov, but it's on short notice. It's not like they had this planned out. And Greg Hardy's actually more of a fighter than those YouTubers are. Those YouTubers are probably more fighters than CM Punk, to be honest. If they were to fight CM Punk, I think they would probably beat him. Especially Logan Paul, right? Because he has a wrestling background and he seems to be pretty fit and athletic. And he's much younger than CM Punk. I'm not even kidding. I think Logan Paul would wax CM Punk out there. No matter if it's boxing or MMA. But it's different now. Like, boxing's hit this new state since Floyd left. Floyd left and it started to get competitive again with Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua fighting Andy Ruiz and Triple G and Canelo doing their thing, Vasil Lomachenko going up weight classes. Like, it looked very competitive. It looked like he was in a good place. And then the decisions were happening. Oscar De La Hoya making like a fool of himself. Calling on Conor McGregor to fight. You have Oscar De La Hoya trying to promote MMA events and it just seems like he doesn't know what he's doing. Doesn't even know the fighters' names that he's signing to this event. MMA fighters constantly calling out boxers. One of the biggest stars in boxing going to WWE and going saying he wants to try MMA. Uh, boxing events getting pushed back because bigger combat sports events are going on. Like, it's a very weird place now. And if I was one of those real boxing fans that just tuned into everything that boxing does, I would not be that happy. 
And I see a lot of boxing fans moved over to MMA because they say it's just a better product now. It's more fun to watch. This Jorge Nate thing is excellent. It's like one of those fights that you would see in a crowd in someone's backyard, you know, and after you like order some pizza or something or you see the ice cream truck and you get something out of there. And it just felt like so real and raw. And you have to give it to the UFC. A lot of people thought that by this time, the UFC wouldn't be the same. They would be behind the other combat sports, but it's only getting big. I had people say that to me. Like, personally, to my face, that MMA is going to die out. I had a lot of people tell me that. A lot of people that I know told me that. And I was just saying, you guys just don't know what's going on. You guys just don't know the trajectory that MMA is on these days, and UFC especially. And they just signed ESPN. Once that ESPN deal got signed, the only place UFC was going was up. And that's what's been happening. From social media, YouTube, the events, the pay-per-view, people buying the pay-per-view, people watching the fights... Everything's only been getting better. Everything's only been more exciting, more entertaining. And with the whole thing with Conor McGregor slowing down the whole entertainment era, the meritocracy of the sport is actually being respected more. And that's a great thing, man. Great thing. I mean, we just got done with UFC 244, one of the biggest cards of the year, and now we're heading right into another card this weekend. It's a great main event. Zabit versus Cater can really go either way. I do favor Zabit to win, but a lot of people still aren't sure of his talent, of his skills, and he has shown some weaknesses, especially more in his recent fights, as he's been fighting the better guys. And there's some people that have this knowledge. They understand Zabit's tendencies. They understand Cater's strengths and weaknesses as well. And you can turn that kind of knowledge into cash in your wallet by betting with mybookie.ag. Between the football seasons, NBA, the start of the college basketball season, the great MMA fights that are coming up, it's time to get off the sideline and get right into action with mybookie. And like I said, man, this weekend, there's some really interesting fights, especially the Volkov versus Greg Hardy fight. Greg Hardy coming from the world of American football making his way into MMA and actually doing pretty decent and is actually progressing far better than people's expectations. And he is coming into a fight being a big underdog, but it is the unpredictable heavyweight division where you can really turn the odds into your favor. If you're the kind of guy who likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. For instance, if you like a couple of the big favorites this week, parlays are perfect because they allow you to have multiple picks together for a much bigger payout. So if you're going to bet at this time, do the smart thing and go to mybookie.ag because no one gives you more ways to win. If you're tired of watching the fights from the couch with nothing to gain, mybookie wants to get your mind off everything else and get back into the game. If you join right now, mybookie will match your deposit halfway all the way up to $1,000. That means if you deposit $2,000, you get an extra $1,000 in free money to play with. You just have to use the promo code WEASEL to activate the offer. Once again, that's promo code W-E-A-S-L-E, to take advantage of MyBookie's sign-up offer. Visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. And we're starting with the first question here, the most liked comment on YouTube from Dino Beckch. Very interesting question. The Weasel versus Ben Askren in a striking match. Who wins? As you guys know, I do answer all the questions. I don't want to back off any question, even how ridiculous it can really get. Here's what I will say. Ben Askren isn't really a striker. Yes, he's been striking for, what, 10 years in MMA or something like that, but he's really never shown progression. And yeah, I'll say Ben Askren wins just because, you know, a lot of people will be mad if I say otherwise. But here's the thing. Me, I have been striking a lot longer than Ben Askren has. A lot longer. I've been striking since I was a kid. And that is pretty much my forte. Now, in MMA, grappling, any other fight, this is different. You know, it's very different. I'm not much of a grappler. I've only been grappling for like a few years. But I've been striking pretty much my entire life. Starting in Taekwondo, ventured into boxing, mixed the two after that, and then focused more on MMA where I started doing everything. And I am only 24 years old. But that's like 15 years of striking because I did take some years off when I was a teenager in school and stuff like that. But yeah, it's a pretty long time. And that's pretty much what I grew up doing. 
and I am about the same size with a longer reach. So it's not crazy. There's a lot of people I know from the gyms I've been in, people that don't even fight, much better strikers than Ben Askren. If it's a striking match, I would put money on those guys as well. There's some people on YouTube, even in the comments, some of the fans, I mean, people who have been striking a lot longer are actually strikers rather than MMA fighters or just fighters in general. And there's even YouTubers I would put money to be Ben Askren. And a name that comes to mind is Faye Sensei, who I think only has had one MMA fight, pro fight, a couple amateurs, some kickboxing fights here and there. You know, Ben Askren in a fight, in a grappling match, or an MMA, that's a completely different thing. Number two, Johnny Walker versus top 15 at light heavyweight. He beats Krylov, beats Shogun, beats Serkunov, beats Alir Latifi. I actually think Rakic beats him. I think Rakic has better fundamentals and just a little bit better defense. And he is a lot more aggressive with the striking, which will give the striking defense of Walker a bit of trouble. I do think he beats Tashira. I think him versus Volkan would be a very good fight. And actually, I lean Volkan just a little bit because his defense is pretty solid. And his fundamentals moving forward will give the funky striking of Walker a lot of trouble, I think. And we have seen Johnny Walker's defense against a high-level Corey Anderson, who isn't a striker. Volkan could do way more than Corey Anderson could. And I understand the grappling and wrestling aspect is a little bit different. And that's what caught Walker off guard as well, I believe. But Volkan has better combinations. He can move in in different kind of angles. And he has deceptive power. And he has a granite chin. So Gustafson is coming back. And if he comes back in his prime form, I think he will be Johnny Walker. I think the boxing in general will give Walker a lot of problems. And the uh, flying knees, kicks, and stuff like that from Walker, I don't think it's going to affect Gustafson that much. Jan Blachowicz, that'd be a tough one for Jan stylistically, right? He doesn't have a great way to get in on long fighters. He's very plodding and stuff like that, and his boxing isn't long range that much. And he will put himself in danger when he attempts to be aggressive, like he did when he fought Thiago Santos, and he can get knocked out by Walker as well. And I don't think he could take down Walker either, so I would pick Walker against Corey Anderson. I do think he could beat Corey Anderson. I really do. We have seen him stuff to take down, but he just made a lot of problems on the feet in the boxing. I guess because we just saw it, I'll go with Corey Anderson, but I do think that Walker can eventually beat him if he just fixes the holes in his striking defense. I guess Dominic Reyes, I think Reyes starches him, to be honest. I think Reyes' striking is just overall better than Johnny Walker's. Against Anthony Smith, I think that would be a war. It'd be very hard to say who would exactly win that fight. Smith has a better chin, and he has amazing heart, but he will get wild with his striking at times. You know what? I'll go with Walker in that one. I think he will eventually catch Smith after a back and forth, and... Smith is going to try to fight back, but he'll eventually just get finished off. I think Thiago Santos beats Johnny Walker. I think the aggression and the speed is just a little bit too much, especially with that blitzing combination he likes to move forward with. Uh, Daniel Cormier, I think, beats him, and John Jones, I think, beats him as well. And then number three, how does Canelo do against Mayweather now? Okay, prime Mayweather. I still think Mayweather beats him, but it would be a lot more competitive with the size of Canelo, with the power that he generates. It's one of the biggest guys Mayweather's ever fought in his career. But when you sit in the pocket with Mayweather and try to go to the body, try to go to the head, try to pick your shots against that Philly shell, It'd be very hard, man. The left hook of Canelo can possibly get to the body, but I think Mayweather's just a little bit too fast, and his reflexes are too sharp for Canelo to land anything significant, and that speed will really work against Canelo as well. Canelo has really good trunk movement, but I just don't think it's fast enough to get away from the, the quick hands of Mayweather. And number four, are you doing no, no, November? Uh, I failed. No, I can't. It's the biggest hurdle this month. For those who can do it, man, I salute you. You are real warriors. I respect you more than even MMA fighters. You guys show a level of grit and determination I've never seen before. So hats off to you guys. I wish I could do like a giveaway for anybody who can do the whole November. And then we go to Blaine Lyons. How does Hori match up with Colby and Usman? This is a very interesting question. Can you see him beating either for the welterweight belt? What's next for Nasons? It seems he will have to wait for a rematch with Masvidal. Okay, Hori versus Colby and Usman, to be honest. 
to be very honest here. I think Usman definitely does beat Jorge Masvidal. He's longer than Masvidal. He'll keep a range on him. He would back Masvidal against the cage. And we have seen Masvidal against Nate Diaz back up. Right? He backed up to the jabs. He backed up to that straight left. And he moved pretty far to the cage. You cannot do that against these wrestlers. Yes, Jorge is a really good wrestler, but he doesn't compare to Colby and Usman. And we have seen and heard Jorge talk about and wrestle with Colby before. Jorge used to say back in the day when they were friends that Colby is the best wrestler in the division. Like, he puts all the grapplers in training to shame. Like, he just gets the better of everybody when it comes to the overall MMA grappling. And even though they hate each other now, I just don't think that's going to change. It doesn't matter. The skills are still there. The gap in wrestling is just so far apart. And Colby is a lot more aggressive than Usman is. He'll push you back a lot faster with a higher pace than Usman. I personally do think Jorge will lose to both of them. I think he could stuff more takedowns from Colby than Usman because I think Usman's stronger than Colby is. But Colby will scramble for the wrestling. He'll scramble for those takedowns. And he keeps a lot of pressure with his hands and his knees and stuff like that. He's a better striker than Usman. But all of that just creates a smoke screen for his wrestling. Even though getting caught by a flying knee from Colby is going to put you out. Or those lunging punches, yeah, they're not the most powerful because he's not too much of a powerful striker. They can tag you up a bit and throw you off. And when you do get thrown off by those strikes... The wrestling now is a lot easier for Colby. And in the Nate Diaz fight, Hori has shown a few glimpses of waiting too much under the fire. And that is something he had a problem with in the lightweight division when he was going through these decisions. When he's under fire, when people are assertively pressuring him or throwing a lot of hands at him, Hori goes on the defense more than he does on the offense. One time in the Nate Diaz fight when Nate started throwing at him, Hori was actually swinging back and getting the better of Nate. That's one of the first times in recent memory at least, that I've ever seen Jorge do that. I haven't really seen him throw back and forth with an opponent. He's usually on the defense until he sees an opening after the dust settles. Colby's going to bring a lot more variety and a lot more volume than Nate was. And Colby has a really, really good chin. With five-round cardio, he's not going to gas out. Usman's not going to gas out as well. So I think they're both going to be Jorge, putting him on defense a little bit more than Jorge wants to do. But Jorge does have that flying knee, man. Yes, we know the Askren thing is probably a one-and-done for Jorge. But at any time, Jorge can set up for a flying knee, go for the uppercuts, go for a high kick, go for these things that... Colby and Usman don't normally have to worry about. And again, his Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is nothing to laugh at. It's nothing to overlook. He will be the better BJJ artist than Colby and Usman when it goes to the ground. But I think they will shut it down. Can I see him beating them though? I can see him beating them. Especially Colby. I think, okay, early predictions, I'll say 57%. I'll go with Colby. So like almost 6 out of 10 fights, I will side with Colby Covington. With Usman, it gets closer to 7 out of 10 fights. I will side with Usman. Because, again, Usman does have a really good chin. He has a long reach, and that's a big thing against Jorge. Masvidal's really going to have to find a way to get in on Usman, and if he does, he leaves himself exposed for takedowns. But then again, he can set up things. He can trick Usman into falling to a knee or an uppercut or something like that, because we do know Jorge. He has a lot of tricks up his sleeve these days, like some street magician. He'll possibly do that rapid quick switch on Usman, get Usman to shoot in on his legs, and then Hori times a knee or something like that. That can absolutely happen. But I will side with Colby and Usman. And what's next for Nate? Because Muslow is most likely going to have another fight probably, right? Connor fights the one that makes the most sense. If it's not that, there's really nothing that excites him, I think. Habib, but then again, he doesn't even want to fight Habib. Nate has a different mindset when it comes to matchmaking and wanting different kind of fights. He wants guys that get him excited. He doesn't like the wrestlers, and the welterweight division has a lot of wrestlers. And another thing, and another thing he doesn't want to fight are guys who don't have a name. Right? He doesn't want to make a name for anybody. He's really out of options. If Tony Ferguson can beat Habib, that's possibly a fight I think Nate would want, but there's nothing really left. I think he's going to wait it out. I think we won't see Nate Diaz for 
another year. I don't think it's going to be three years like last time. I think it's going to be like a year, year and a half. And then he eventually gets another fight. Connor possibly fights Donald Cerrone or Justin Gaethje. And then Nate probably will want to fight with Conor McGregor, seeing that Connor is actually coming off a win. And he's possibly going to get some big opportunity. And he wants to put his name in there for Connor. And then we go to JT7. Fantasy matchups. Nganu versus Lewis too. I think Nganu starches Lewis. I think he really starches Lewis. He has a longer reach. He has way better movement. He's faster. I would say he probably has more power. I mean, he has everything Lewis has, but on like a third degree, right? Lewis is at level one, and Ganu has what he has, but they're level up to like 10. You know what I'm saying? He's even like an installer. Like everything that Lewis has, and Ganu has more besides just body weight, I guess. Leg kicks will be devastating. Body kicks. Lewis doesn't move, so you can really kick at him. Jabs, better boxing, better angles. He can he can bait out the right overhand and counter him with that left hook. As you know Nganu loves to do on people, he likes to get people to lunge in on him, like JDS just did, like Andrzej did in the past. Exact same thing. He can get Lewis to throw that same right overhand, lean back, left hook, right uppercut. Lewis is out. Masvidal versus prime Nick Diaz. I think Masvidal would really hurt Nick Diaz out there. Nick is a lot more aggressive than Nate is and a lot more pressuring with his movements. But with that comes a plodding style. It's plodding movements, but he's always moving forward. He hates moving backwards. Nate has lighter feet than Nick does. He will actually move back and forth. And because of that, he has that teeter-tottering style. Well, he'll come in with a one-two and then he's moving backwards far with that right hook. It's really weird to fight a guy like that. But then again, you attack the legs and stuff like that. Nate is a lot more vulnerable to leg kicks than Nick is because Nick moves forward and he doesn't have a wide stance. Very narrow stance, very tall. And it's really hard to kick his legs as he's moving forward and pushing you back with his volume boxing. But he does have more power than Nate does. That's the only thing. I do think Nate is a better Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu artist. And I think he has better technical long-range boxing. But I think Nick is better on the inside. But Nate is better in the clinch. So I ultimately do think that Nate is a better fighter than Nick is overall. But here's the thing, when Nick is fighting Masvidal, he's going to play as a punching bag for a lot of that fight. If Masvidal doesn't back up to the cage too much, because that's where Nick is going to really get to the body and get to the head, it's not too difficult for these fighters to get out of the pocket with Nick Diaz when he's pressuring them. Look at Carlos Condit did. Look at GSP did. He pressured both of them to the cage at some point, especially Carlos Condit. But they were easily able to get out of there. Just take an angle. I know Maslow is way more than capable to do that as well. Maslow, I think, would beat Nick Diaz. And I think it would be eventual stoppage at the end of it. McGregor versus Diaz, three. Competitive fight. At this stage of the game, I will side with Nate Diaz because of where Connor's head is at. Now, if you said prime Connor, this would be, again, another classic. I will lean McGregor on another decision. But... If it's now Connor versus now Diaz, I will side with Diaz because of where Connor's head is at. Thompson versus Ponzinibbio. Man, this fight has to happen at one point. Before Thompson retires, he is like 36 years old. We got to see this fight eventually, man. The most aggressive, probably the most powerful striker in this division versus the elusiveness, the experience that Thompson brings into a fight. That would be amazing, man. I would actually sign with Ponzinibbio at this point. Thompson was getting hit a little bit when he fought Vicente Luque, more than I liked, more than I expected, and I think age is hitting him just a little bit, because I look back and I see him fight like Johnny Hendricks back in the day and other fighters who actually got into his face, and he wasn't letting anybody even near him back then. Here, when he was starting to pressure Luque a little bit, he was getting caught by that left hook, he was getting caught by some straight rights, and one of those shots from Ponzinibbio will put him out. Ponzinibbio has a jab that can knock you out. He has light kicks that can really disrupt Thompson, and again, Luque who isn't as powerful, who isn't as fast 
I don't think he's as long. I could be wrong on that. They're probably around the same, but he was like kicking Thompson and it was throwing off Thompson for the early parts of that first round. Ponzinibbio, you don't want to take too many kicks though. Like Nelson for his lightning jab that he ate Neil Magny's eye alive with and he knocked out Gunnar Nelson with it. And say what you want about the eye pokes. He launched Gunnar Nelson into the cage with that jab. That's some power, man. I'll stick with Ponzinibbio. Working the legs, working to the body, working to the head, eventually knocking out Thompson. And if it's five rounds. Romero versus Kenanier. I don't think Kenanier is ready for a guy like Romero. That wrestling's a little bit too much, man. Kenanier is mostly a striker. And his wrestling defense was definitely tested when he fought Glover Teixeira. It was not a good luck. And good luck with Romero. What Glover could do with the wrestling is something Romero could do on another level if he wants to go to it. And he has striking power and he's fast. He won't beat Kenanier in the striking. I think that Kenanier is counterpunching, especially on the inside, as Romero explodes in from far distances. That would be like Romero falling into traps. He explodes from the outside, trying to land something crazy with the blitz. He falls right into range of Kenanier. Kenanier possibly blocks, slips these punches, and eventually finds something like an uppercut or a short left hook on the inside and rocking Romero. Very much discouraging him from doing it again. But I'll stick with Romero with the wrestling. Anthony Smith versus Corey Anderson. I'll stick with Anthony Smith. His submissions are really threatening, and he's an overall much better striker than Corey Anderson, and he's longer as well, I believe, or around the same. He has more power, definitely. And then we go to Mike Rodick. Okay, smash or pass these fighters. That's a lot of names. Okay, I'll say who I'll pass. Trying to be more friendly about it. Would you pass Cyborg? I don't know, man. That would be an experience. I'll personally pass on Nunez, Spencer, Andrade. And regarding Artem, I don't swing to that side, but I do have an exception for greatness. And then we go to running links. Which fighter would have the best chance at becoming champion if they switch weight classes right now? It's either going to be Khabib or Israel Adesanya. Khabib moves up. He will give Kamar Usman a hard time. It would be, though, the hardest fight for Khabib out of any division, I think. It's either Usman or Tony Ferguson. Those are going to be his hardest matchups, no matter which division around him. So I think Khabib can challenge the wrestling of Usman and turn into more of a judo match when it gets into the clinch, like he did against RDA, and he's done it in the past before. Right, judo really throws wrestlers into a loop. We saw a lot of that with Ronda Rousey versus Misha Tate. It's because when you shoot it on the hips of a judoka, they use your momentum against you that you blast it in there with. And that's the way Kamar Usman likes to go for takedowns a lot. Besides if it's against a cage, that's a little bit different. But will he pressure Habib like that? And if it gets to the ground, will Habib outgrapple Usman? Because Habib can get big for 170. Right? He's not going to be outsized that much. Kamar Usman is a lean like 190, 188 out of camp always in shape, Habib can really get up there, I believe. So, um, you know what? I'll stick with Habib. I think Adesanya moving up to light heavyweight is going to be hard. It's going to be really hard to fight Jones. I think Habib has the best chance of beating the next champion in a weight class around them. And even in the striking, he will give Usman some problems. He's very fast to get in. He has a very sneaky right overhand, very sneaky left uppercut. And Usman puts himself in danger when he attempts to strike a little bit too long, which he has done before against Emil Mech. Then we go to Bad Burrito. Do you believe the resurrected Masvidal is championship material? After all, since he decided to stop trying to win by points, he's a very scary individual. Do you think there are others, like Masvidal, to focus on point fighting that could be monsters if they look for more finishes? Okay, Maslow is championship material. No doubt about it. The champions right now, though, are really hard fights for him stylistically. Like, okay, for an example, when Tyron Woodley was the champion, I picked Mazadal as his nightmare matchup. Initially, before he started losing to Damian Maia and Steven Thompson. Where he has a very good style to beat a guy like Tyron Woodley. Because Woodley doesn't wrestle as often, or he doesn't push for the grappling, push for the wrestling, push for the aggression, like Colby and Usman do. Maslow can really get comfortable fighting a guy like... Tom Woodley and and the old Maslow would probably 
coast in that kind of fight. Resurrected Mazel will try to put Tyron Woodley's head into the bleachers, and what does Woodley do a lot? He ducks his head a lot. Throwing the right overhand, going for takedowns, Whenever he's pressured against the cage, he's always ducking and moving in. Flying is a very easy thing for Muzzle to set Woodley up for, as well as uppercuts, as well as keeping a jab on him to force him on the cage the entire time. And that right overhand is not going to catch Muzzle, though. Loading up on that big punch is not going to catch him. He's way too quick, and his reflexes are way too sharp. He's seen something like that a million times. But this is different. These kind of matchups, these kind of styles, like Colby and Usman, is a different thing. So, in that sense, Masvidal is a championship material fighter. Will he win the title? We have to see. But he is definitely somewhere around their level. And who's coasting a lot? Who's winning on points too much when they can look to finish? I would say John Jones. Well, he is a monster. He's really good. But he has these performances against guys where he doesn't really get up for. And he just coasts in those fights. It's something a lot of champions used to do in the past. Jose Aldo, he was a finisher in WEC. Went to the UFC, getting title defenses, and he's just coasting in the fights where he could do a lot more. Nowadays, he's trying to go for the finish, besides when he fought Volkanovski. But John Jones, when he fought Thiago Santos, when he fought Anthony Smith, especially that fight. Like, man, you can really go in for this. You can really go in for the kill. You could really try to finish this fight when a guy's pretty much just sitting in front of you. I think John Jones right now should be looking more for finishes as he's trying to win on points too much or just trying to coast. Trying to be very comfortable in these kind of fights. But let's think of someone who isn't a champion. Who could be doing a lot better. The guy I have a feeling with is Leon Edwards. I think Edwards has a lot more he hasn't shown. And he looks like he's just so comfortable fighting. Like he's just not exiting his comfort zone. And he's not trying anything. He's not trying to finish. Yeah, he's winning these fights. But it almost always looks like he's coasting. And if there's an opening, like a big opening, such as in the clinch when he fought Gunnar Nelson, there's a huge opening over the top and he just threw an elbow and connected hard. Stuff like that, yeah, he'll try to finish you, but he's never attempting to finish any other way. He's not attempting to set up opponents too much. He's not attempting to trap opponents with power, right? He'll trap you, but he'll just end up kind of tagging you, not trying to finish you with some big head kick or big left hand or something like that, you know? So I believe if Leon Edwards picked it up a little bit more, he would be a lot harder to fight because he has the reach, he has the speed, he has the striking technique, he has the ability to get up from the bottom if he gets taken down. He has a lot going for him, and I think he should just try a little bit more. And then we go to Neil Johnson. Your opinion on best wrestler, grappler, and striker in each men's divisions. At heavyweight, the best wrestler, I would probably say Curtis Blades, but you know, you do have DC. But DC isn't wrestling too much at heavyweight these days. Stipe is a good wrestler, but I believe Curtis Blades has shown the best wrestling so far. Best grappler, if Verdum was still in the rankings, I'd definitely say him. But since he's suspended right now, I'll say Alexei Olnik. Definitely pulling off those crazy submissions that nobody's ever seen before, and he's doing it consecutively is insane. And best striker in this division, I'll say Francis Ngannou. Even though he lost to Stipe, he was getting outstruck by Stipe and out-wrestled, I believe Ngannou, with the right mindset, is definitely the best striker that heavyweight division has probably ever seen before. I know you have Uberim or Overeem in the past. I believe Ngannou would be any version of Overeem. At light heavyweight, just John Jones, probably. <laughs> just John Jones, that's the answer. He's the best everything in this division. But you could probably lean to Thiago Santos or Dominic Reyes as the best striker. Everything else is Jones. At middleweight, the best striker is Adesanya. Best wrestler is Romero. And best grappler is Jacare. I understand Jacare's moving off to 205, but you know, Jacare could be the best grappler at 205, but we just never seen it yet at 205. That's the only thing. But at middleweight, he's definitely the best grappler. And now at welterweight, the best striker, I believe it's Ponzinibbio. I know Jorge's right there. I know Steven Thompson's right there. But I personally think that Ponzinibbio is the most effective striker in the division. 
He has the power. He has all the fundamentals. He has the reach. He has the snap. He has the timing. He has everything down that you want as a striker. If you go and say Thompson, I do not disagree. If you say Jorge... I think Hori is number three. I think he's behind Thompson and behind Ponzinibbio. Best wrestler, I think, is Usman. Colby's right there. And best grappler, I'll say, is Damian Maya. Now, the lightweight division. This is where it gets hard because of how stacked this division is. I'll go striker last. Best wrestler is Habib. Best grappler is also Habib. I believe Habib is the best wrestler slash grappler when you combine the two in the UFC right now. And now the best striker. You got some good strikers here, man. Tony Ferguson could be there. Conor McGregor can be there. Dustin Poirier can be there. Really hard to say between those three, right? And I know people are going to say Conor knocked out Dustin Poirier. I'm saying now, though. It's hard to say these days. Yes, Conor called Dustin Poirier, but that was a long time ago. I think in 2014, right? Five years of development for Dustin Poirier. Conor's been in and out of the game with a different mindset than Dustin Poirier's had. And you can clearly see the development of Dustin Poirier. If you were to ask me who's the best striker... I think it's Conor McGregor, but Tony's right there. The only difference is Tony gets hit. Does it discredit him when he gets dropped? Does it discredit him when he gets hurt? Possibly, but he overwhelms his opponent with striking. No matter who they are, from Edson Barboza to Donald Cerrone to Anthony Pettis, the best strikers in this division, and he overwhelms them with it. And he's not even a striker by trade. He doesn't even attempt the wrestling. And he's just outstriking the strikers, the actual strikers who've been doing it as a kid in this division. I think Connor might be Tony in the striking. I think he can knock people out in this division in the striking that Tony probably can't. So I'll put Connor at the top there because of his timing mostly. My personal list, I'll say Connor's number one, and I'll say Tony's number two, and I'll say Poirier's number three. Now, the featherweight division, people might disagree in this. Best grappler is Ortega. The best wrestler is probably Frankie, but he is moving down, or it's Mursad Bektik. The reason why Mursad's wrestling is possibly better than Frankie is because of his size. He's way bigger than Edgar. And best striker, I would say Max Holloway. Now, who's the best at mixing up all three of those? It's Zabit. I just have to put it out there. So I would say Zabit is the second best striker. I think he's second or third best wrestler. I think he's second best grappler. And I know a lot of people are going to say that Zabit is probably the best in some of those categories. I personally think he's number two or number three on every single one. And then the bantamweight division, best striker is going to be Jose Aldo when he moves down. Um, but right now, I'd say probably Marlon Moraes. I still think Marlon Moraes might be the best striker. Corey Sanhagen's right there as well. And I know Cejudo did overall outstrike Moraes, but it's because of the wrestling as well. Best wrestler is Cejudo by far. And best grappler... There's actually a lot of good grapplers for the bantamweight division. You can't really say that about other divisions. There's some divisions like Featherweight who have a lot of good strikers. Some divisions who have a lot of good wrestlers like Welterweight or something, right? And then there's a division with so many good grapplers, and that is bantamweight. From Aljamain Sterling, Corey Sang is a good grappler. Asunsa is a good grappler. Munoz is so dangerous on the ground. Faber, I mean, you got a lot of good grapplers. I think the most dangerous is Munoz. So I'll go with Munoz in that one. You could say Sterling as well. I won't disagree. It's really close. And then the flyweight division. Best wrestler is Cejudo. Best striker, I would say, is Figueiredo. Best grappler, probably Formiga. Then we go to Teron Morris. What are the odds Usman versus Covington turns into a kickboxing fight due to the wrestling canceling each other out? It can happen, but I don't see it happening. I think it will start off as that. I think they're both going to strike at each other, be very angry at each other. I think it's going to be an emotional fight at the beginning. But here's the thing. I think Covington is going to tag Usman at the early parts of the first round. And I think it's going to wake up Usman and cause Usman to start wrestling. I think Usman's going to throw hands with Covington, but I think he's going to get caught and then hit a couple times, not wobble, but startled a little bit, 
and then start trying to wrestle with Covington, scramble in the center of the cage, then Usman starts pushing Covington to the cage showing a bit of a strength advantage and that's where the fight's really going to commence so i think it's going to be a mixed fight i think covington's going to strike a lot more than usman and i think usman's going to look to wrestle a lot more than covington but where a lot of the resistance is going to be is in the wrestling. I think Usman's going to stay on the cage, stay on the hips of Covington for a long period of time in that fight. Another one by Bad Burrito. Who's striking is the most beautiful to watch in your opinion? Wonderboy or Adesanya? For me, most beautiful is Wonderboy. Wonderboy is a work of art. Adesanya is too. But when you look at Wonderboy, it's like something you haven't seen before. You know, if you come into MMA now, let's say a casual fan, never seen Adesanya, never seen Wonderboy. I guarantee they're going to like the style of Wonderboy a lot more, or at least it's going to catch their eye first. If he sees both of the screens, sees the highlights, or sees a fight with Wonderboy on one, Adesanya on the other, I think their eyes are going to be glued on Wonderboy initially. But it carries out a little bit too long at times. Adesanya's, throughout the fight, you get more excited about it because finishing sequences are happening a lot more. And now let's go to the Twitter questions. And remember, if you want to tweet me, hashtag them MMA meeting like you'll see in this episode. So we're going to start with at Marines Marines. I hope I pronounced that right. I apologize if I didn't. Hey, the weasel. I am an 18-year-old Brazilian Taekwondo fighter with basic boxing and knowledge that fell in love with MMA this year. That's great to hear. And after I get the black belt, I intend to start training MMA. In the meantime, how can I start learning at my house? And what are the best fighters that I could take inspiration? By the way, I have a heavy bag at my house. Thanks for reading. I really appreciate your job and watch all your videos. I as you, I started with Taekwondo, went into boxing, started boxing a lot more than I did Taekwondo, and then went into MMA as well. First thing I want to say is going to the gym is very important when you want to get into MMA. I know a lot of people want to try stuff at their house because going to a gym, there's a lot of reasons why it can discourage you, whether it be the different kind of environment, the unfamiliarity, the price, because MMA gyms are stupid and expensive these days. So a lot of people want to try stuff at their house and see how they feel just trying the moves or hitting a bag and whatnot, right? So first, I want to say try a gym. Go for a week. See how you like it. Usually, gyms have a free week. How can you start learning at your house? Okay, grappling, you cannot. Unless you have a friend who actually grapples. You need someone who knows what they're doing. You need someone who has experience in grappling and wrestling. And you need an environment that can replicate an MMA cage or a ring or something like that, right? But you need a safe environment. So the equipment's going to be needed, mats and all that sort of stuff. And you need someone who knows what they're doing or at least is experienced in the aspect of MMA that you are trying to get the hang of. But when it comes to striking, the bag is always decent to hit around. You have the Taekwondo down, but you have to transition it into almost like an MMA scene. So the readiness of takedowns has to be beaten into you. Throwing constant kicks consecutively is going to be very hard to do. And you have to mind your timing. You got to mind when you want to throw kicks with the distance that is MMA, which is actually very replicant. A Taekwondo's distance. So that's going to fit pretty nicely. And when you go and hit a bag or something like that, it's good to start with your hands, work the kicks in combination, possibly ending the combination with the kick or trying to get a little bit more creative with that where you can safely get away from the pocket or from your exchange and always work distance work as well as on the inside. So a big problem I see with a lot of people hitting bags is they're too close to the bag, almost like it's boxing. And yes, they get used to that. Even in sparring, they do the same thing. They try to get on the inside and they try to stay there because they do so much with pad work and especially on the bag. Whenever I see people hit the bag, they're always so close to the bag. You always want to have it on your mind that it's an MMA distance. Yes, you can work on the inside, work that a lot with your punches and try to formulate that kind of power in your punches when it is that close or in your knees or in your elbows or move back when you want to throw a kick or something like that, right? But you also want to work mid-range and long-range and keep a session like that, right? 
That's something I love to do as well. I actually did outside distance, long range, more than I usually do for the inside. But lately, especially, I've been working on the inside a lot more, staying there for my entire session for like 30 minutes or something, you know, after a workout. And then the next time, I'll stay on the outside and try to keep that range. And then the next day, I'll mix up the two. So that is always really good to do, especially when you have a boxing and taekwondo style where you can work on the inside because of your boxing, you can work on the outside because of your kicks. And then that mid range is really where your combinations really start to matter. And I can't stress enough, the biggest thing is when you're exiting from a combination or exiting from striking, even on a bag, you always want to back up into your stance and keep the guard up. Where a lot of people I see as they like to stay on the inside, even on a heavy bag, they're just throwing punches and after their combination or after they unload it in the bag, they're still in front of it and sometimes they lower their hands or something like that, like it's a resting point. You always want to have it in your head like there's an opponent in front of you, like you're shadow boxing almost. And when I say shadow boxing, Rose Namajunas, Pat Barry, the people over there, they have it correct in their head even when they're shadow boxing it's like they're fighting someone you always want to have that in your head even when you're hitting bags even when you're hitting pads or something like that you want to see an opponent in front of you when you're throwing these techniques you don't just want to throw it because they told you to throw it because the mental part the picture doesn't sink in it's just a technique you know how to do it but you don't know when to do it you don't know how to do it you got to visualize it as well so that's a big thing and fighters that take inspiration, that's really hard for someone else to tell you. Now, most people are going to be inspired by someone with a very similar skill set or very similar style. So for me, it was Conor McGregor. It was someone like Rose Namajunas who has that Taekwondo style, who has a very similar boxing game that I've developed for a long time. Something very similar to that. Um, strikers usually inspire me a lot more, but grapplers do as well. You know, Habib inspires me a lot. That really just comes from your subjectivity, you know? So I hope I was able to help, but again, the biggest thing is you want to go to a gym, and then you can really understand what you have to do. Then we go to at Uncle Olav, who advances from each fight until the final, and who wins the welterweight tournament. Okay, so Kamar Usman versus Colby Covington, Douglas Lima versus Stephen Thompson, Roy McDonald versus Jorge Masvidal, and Leon Edwards versus Santiago Ponzinibbio. So I believe Usman beats Covington, I think Lima beats Wonderboy, I think Masvidal beats McDonald, and I think Ponzinibbio beats Edwards. So then it would be Usman versus Douglas Lima, and that would be a very hard fight for Usman stylistically. But I would think Usman edges a decision, but he will take a lot of damage in that kind of fight. So I think Usman's pressure, his wrestling, his top game, the shots he lands on the ground and in the clinch, I think will overall get him a split decision win over Lima. And then Masvidal versus Ponzinibbio, that would be a good fight. Oh man, that's almost like a pick for me, really. I mean, because the stuff Ponzinibbio throws are stuff that Jorge Masvidal is pretty much perfected. And Mazdal, I think, has better reflexes and overall a better defense than Ponzinibbio is used to. Possibly making Ponzinibbio's strikes overextend and Mazdal countering him. If this was a real fight, I would have no idea who to bet on. But I would just have to rely on my gut feeling. I think Mazdal might win that fight. I think he'll probably win a decision, especially if it's three rounds. If it's five rounds, I really don't know how the fight would play out at the later rounds. They both don't normally gas out. They both have great power. They both have amazing jabs. I think Pazanibio's jab is more effective than Mazdal, but Mazdal has a better body kick. And again, he's a lot better at moving away from punches. Oh man, actually, that might lean upon Zanibio. You know, I think he's going to be the aggressor in that fight. I think he's going to be throwing more than Mazdal's throwing, where Mazdal might be countering a lot more. Because when you look at the fight with Ponzinibbio when he fought Mike Perry, the pressure and Perry firing back at Ponzinibbio put Ponzinibbio in a bit of trouble. And I think Mazdal can evade the shots and go back on Ponzinibbio. So yeah, I'll stick with my initial pick with Mazdal. And then that would be Usman versus Mazdal. In which I think Usman would win. And then we go to the last question. At Intent Chief. 
Jorgen said a few weeks ago that Johnny Walker may be coming back from a celebration injury a bit early. Do you think being hurt had anything to do with Walker's performance or was his footwork just not up to the elite level? Keep up the great work. Thank you so much, man. I don't think it had much to do with it. You know, Walker is a wildcat. Like, I don't think an injury will hurt his mental state at all. I think he's just so willing to put on a performance, be the star of the show. I don't think an injured shoulder from a while ago is going to detour him at all. I think it was just his striking defense. He looked like he was moving all over the place. He looked like he was going to do the same thing that he usually does. But this time he fought a wrestler, which is the first time in his UFC career. And finally, someone was willing to throw shots at him at the beginning of the fight. So... I think that's what went into it, rather than uh, being discouraged because of an injury. So that's the end of the podcast, guys. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. And if you did, make sure to give it a like. Make sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel if you are listening to the audio version of this. And again, thank you guys so much for watching. Thank you guys so much for listening. And I'll see you in the next episode.